Well, welcome back. We're in the middle of our redemption series. How many of you have been enjoying the redemption series that we've been doing? Right? I, we've gotten so much feedback about the podcast, the home groups. We're in Ephesians chapter 1 talking about the redemption through the blood of Jesus that Christ created, that the Father sent his Son in order that we might be redeemed. I'm just going to read that for you real quick. Uh, this has been the foundation of what we've been talking about, starting in verse 7. Ephes I guess I should get out of Thessalonians if I want to read Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, and it says, In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And that word lavish, I, I was looking that up. That word lavish means unnecessary, too much, right? More than you will ever need. So when God lavishes things on us, it's like this is so unnecessary, like this is so over the top. I, I could never use this all. This is so much more that I need or could ever, ever function in. But that's the heart of God towards us. It says, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us. He's lavished us with grace, guys. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. God desires to lavish us with his grace. He desires to bring to us places of redemption, places of forgiveness. The first week, two weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness and about how our sin necessitated the forgiveness of God. We desperately needed God's forgiveness, and he moved heaven and earth to make a way to forgive us. And I don't know how many times you've been offended, but are you usually the one that makes a way for there to be forgiveness when someone has hurt you? I don't. I, I, my instinct is to wait for them to get their stuff together and come back and apologize so we can make this thing right. Yet God, the Bible says, while we were weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was the love that heaven had towards us, to create a doorway of forgiveness. Why? So there could be relationship and reconciliation. That's the heart of God towards us. And then last week, Sam talked about redemption, how uh, not just a place of forgiveness, but to be redeemed, to be restored, to be reconciled, to be brought back out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into his marvelous light so that we can stand just as if we had never sinned, just as if we'd never blown it, just as if we'd never made mistakes. That's the heart of God towards his people. And today we're going to be talking about the subject of sin. I know you're so glad you came on this Sunday because we're talking about sin and everybody, who doesn't want to talk about sin? It's fun and exciting, right? But I, I need you to know that as a young man who grew up in the church, my parents were missionaries, I grew up on the mission field, and I, I gave my heart to Jesus at an early age and all of my worst sins and mistakes happened after I accepted Jesus. And I felt like, well, where do I go from here? Like I had a real struggle in my life because I thought, you know, I, I've been saved. I know I'm saved. And I've given my heart and life to Jesus, but I still struggle. I struggle with anger. I struggle with resentment. I struggle uh, with, you know, being hurt and wounded and angry at people, jealousy, envy, hatred. I had a running battle with pornography that I've talked about, wrote a book about it for almost 25 years and didn't know how to break free. And the reason that I was stuck in this battle with sin is because I didn't understand how I got there. And my heart today, as I share with you on this topic of sin, I don't want any of you to hear me shaming anybody who struggles with sin. That's not what this is about. Because the whole point of redemption, the whole point of God sending his son Jesus to die for us was to free us from sin. So when God shines his light of truth on a sinful spot in our life, it's not because he's like, you dirty, rotten sinner, look at that, look at that, what is that doing there? That is not the heart of God towards his people. 
When he shines the light of truth on an area of our lives, it's because he wants to free us, he wants to heal us, he wants to restore us, he wants everything Jesus purchased by his blood on the cross to be applied to our account, right? So I, as we talk about the subject today, I don't want anybody to hear condemnation because Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's what we're talking about. I have the heart of Paul when he said several times to the New Testament church, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to misunderstand. Understanding of this topic has really revolutionized my walk and my freedom. Because I didn't know how I got there. I wasn't sure how to break free. Does that make sense? If you don't know how you got stuck in that addiction, you can't unravel the tangled mess you're in to get out. And we're going to look at it a little bit today. Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7 is like an advanced calculus like, I'm not good at math. So when I was unraveled, I started about 15 years ago, and I really started digging into this. I'm like, God, how did I live most of my life stuck under this burden and like just in this running battle with this enemy I felt like I couldn't overcome? Knowing the truth of God, that sin has no power of me, that if we, die, if we, we died with Christ and raised to new life, that sin has no authority or power in my life, but somehow I find myself stuck under this over and over and over again. And I think I'm good. I think I'm okay. I went to the altar. I cried. You know, I repented. I did the thing. And then I felt better. And then like a month or two later, here I am stuck again. How do we get to these places? We're going to talk about that today. And Romans 5, 6, and 7, we're going to read all of it, but we are going to look pretty closely at chapter 6. The Bible is talking about this issue of sin and our relationship with sin and how it comes. And Paul talks about his own personal struggle and, and how to unravel this mess. And so if you can get Romans 5, 6, and 7 and get an understanding in your heart, you'll understand a little bit better how to manage in this world because we, I don't know if you know this, but we are surrounded by sin. The cross of Jesus broke the power of sin, but we are still in the presence of sin every day of our lives. It's just around. Until Jesus returns to restore his kingdom, it's going to be around. And we need to know how to walk and how to live with it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 the Bible, after talking about the great hall of faith of the Old Testament saints, starts off chapter 12, and it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who've gone before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, which means skillfully surrounding or besetting, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I don't know if you have ever felt like you have been skillfully surrounded by sin, but I sure have whoa, how did I get here? I feel like there's no way forward, there's no way back, there's no way out. You need to understand that sin has an agenda for you. It has an agenda for your life, and it will skillfully surround you. The King James says, besetting. In other words, like a siege. When you siege something, you surround the, the town or the castle or whatever it is that you're besieging, you're besetting, and you make sure there's no way out, and there's no way of escape, and there's no way forward, and you just kind of try to trap them there. And the Bible tells us in... in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, that sin which clings so closely or so easily besets us, skillfully surrounds us. It's not like a mud puddle you were walking by and you're like, oh, I fell into the mud puddle. No. It, it has a will and a purpose, and it has an agenda for you. And we need to be aware of this. In 2 Corinthians 10, the apostle Paul writes to the church, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I learned that verse when I was very young. 
And I knew that when things come through my head that weren't, they didn't line up with truth, they didn't line up with scripture, like, oh, okay, I have an argument against that because I've got truth, I've got scripture, I've got verses coming up. And I would go to argue with that thought, that stray thought that came in my head. And at the same time, I would get hit with this deep emotion. And nobody taught me that the enemy could not only hit me with a thought, but it could also hit me with an emotion. It's like a one-two punch. And I went to block the first one, and the second one got me. And as soon as I felt the emotion, I thought, oh, no, it's true. Like, I really do want to partake of that. Because I went to argue with the concept, but then the emotion hit me, and I was done. I don't know if you've ever had that battle, but you need to understand. The enemy not only can give you an opportunity and a thought, but then they give you this urge where you feel like, well, I feel like I really want to do that. I want to go get drunk. I want to take drugs. I want to steal that money. I want to betray that friend. I want to engage in illicit activity. Like, you feel like it's you. But I have good news for you. It's not you. It's not you. There is a conspiracy. And a lot of people get caught up in conspiracy theories. It's really easy to do because there is a conspiracy against your soul. Jesus said, the thief has come not but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have eternal life, abundant, abundant life. So there is a conspiracy against you and against your family. The accuser is active, and he's, he is working overtime to try to put you into the spot that he wants you to, which is a place of bondage. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 6, and we're going to look at the, the relationship between us and between sin and I want you to understand something. Sin is not just things that we do wrong. Sin is like transgression, offense. These are things that we do wrong. But I want you to take new eyes. And I want you to look. When we talk about sin, I want you to look at sin as though it is a personality. It's your enemy. It has an agenda for you. Matter of fact, before we go to Romans 6, I want to, I want to look at something in uh, Genesis because it's foundational. The law of first mention. In other words, when something first comes up in Scripture... It, there's something very foundational about that mention. When God brings something to light in the word of God, the first place that we see it, that means there's something foundational he's trying to communicate. And in Genesis chapter 4, he confronts Cain. I don't know if you remember Cain and Abel. They were the first two uh, children born upon the planet. They were brothers. And when they came before God to give their sacrifices, um, Cain brought the fruit of the field, the harvest, because he was a farmer. And he says, look, look what my farm, look what my garden has produced, God. I'm going to give it to you as a sacrifice. And God didn't accept it because what was required for sacrifice of sin was bloodshed. And Abel, who was a herdsman, he, he raised cattle and goats. He brought the blood sacrifice that God required or that sin required to be covered. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice but not Cain's. And Cain got offended and hurt and angry and jealous. And in that state, God confronts him in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why? Are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, and I want to pause right there. It says, if you do well, but when you look at that word that was translated, it actually means if you are well, or if your state of being is well, or healthy, or whole. So when he says, if you do well, he's talking about, look, if you're right, if you're whole, if you're healthy, won't you be accepted? And if you do not well, or to be unwell, to be broken, to be unwhole, Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, I need us to understand something. When God says sin lies at the door, he's not saying don't trip over that. There's something in front of the door. When he says sin lies at the door, that word lies means like an, a predator that is crouched ready to pounce on prey. 
Sin is crouching, ready to pounce. It's got its eye on you. It is about to mess up your day. It's coming after you. And when he says its desire is for you, that is the same word desire that God used with Eve when the curse of sin was pronounced, when she said that, that her desire would be for her husband, but he would rule over her. It's a desire to have, to possess, a longing to grasp. That's what sin has for you. So I want you to understand the foundational truth that God is showing to Cain is, look, you're not alone. There is an enemy. It's coming after you. It has a plan for your life, and you got to watch out for it, and you got to keep clear of it. And Cain was the one that messed up the blood sacrifice, so he couldn't hear God's truths, right? He couldn't step away from this thing that was after him, and he ended up murdering his brother. Sin is a spirit. Sin is a personality that desires to suck you into their identity. And then once they trip you up, they turn around and they accuse you, and they say, oh, well, you're just a dirty such-and-so, whatever they just got you to do. And they accuse you of what they are. They get us coming and going. And I am not sharing this with you so that we can say, oh, the devil made me do it, so I don't have any. No, we are responsible for our choices. We are responsible for our actions. But if I don't understand what's happening, I'm going to keep doing dumb things because I'm getting tricked and there's a game being run on me that I don't even know what the rules are. And I want us to understand that the rules of the game are they want to kill you, they want to rip you off, they want to destroy you and your family and your future. They're not your friend, but they appear as a counterfeit solution to all these places we find ourselves in life to meet the legitimate needs that God has created us with. Sin offers a counterfeit. I don't know if you've ever been in an argument I'm sure I'm the only one. But in a heated argument, there are things that come through your mind. Oh, hit him with this. Oh, hit him with that. That'll shut him up. You know that, oh, I can't believe you went there argument? Oh, we're going there? The enemy is right there handing us, hit him with this. Hit him with that. Say this. This will knock him down. The enemy is right there participating in the middle. When we're in an emotionally charged state, and have you ever said things that you didn't actually mean? That's how we got there. Because sin is partnering with us to say, oh, you need help, I'll help. They're helpers. Right? And they get us in one of two places. Most times they either come in a place of comfort or a place of protection. That's where addictions come from. There is a legitimate need for comfort that God has created us with, and if it's lacking or if there's dysfunction, abuse, or brokenness in our lives, we can go to addictions to try to soothe that place of pain and bring comfort to something that is missing. Because we don't understand and we don't know how to go to God and get the comfort that we so desperately need from the creator. And the enemy comes with a counterfeit and says, here's what you need, this will fix it. And it does for a split second, and then it gets worse, and you need more. And then you're, you're caught in a cycle you don't know how to get out of. Deception will come when you've messed up, and, and, and you, if the truth comes out, you'll be shamed and embarrassed and ostracized or maybe rejected, and deception comes and says, I will cover you, I will protect you. Lie. And so we lie, and it works. We don't get in trouble. And now we're carrying the weight of this lie. We've just given place to the enemy to walk with us, and we end up in places where we're lying about stuff that does, I don't, it doesn't even matter. I don't know why I lied about that. I remember in high school, I was in, I was in a store, and a salesman walked up to me and started asking me questions, and I just, I lied my butt off about my family. I wasn't married. About, you know, why I was looking at the thing I was looking at and what I was going to do with it, and I just made up this whole elaborate story, and I'm walking out of the store going, God, what? I don't even know what just happened. 
I used to work at a car store, and in the car store, they would say buyers are liars because nobody ever wants to give you the full story. They want to, you know, they want to put the best presentation forward. Or it's called negotiating, right? Sometimes it's just lying. What happened was I had given my heart over to deception at an early age, and deception was with me. It had a place with me, and because it had a place with me, it would pop up at the most inconvenient moments. The same with anger. I made an agreement with anger at the age of six, at the age of eight, at the age of 11 to protect me, and I had this belief in my heart, if I get mad enough, no one or nothing can hurt me. I didn't know I had made that agreement. Because here's how the enemy gets agreements from us. He pushes a thought, he pushes an option, and all he needs is for somewhere in our heart to go, yeah. And he got us, he got an agreement. I don't know about you, but I never sat down and signed a contract, a lifetime contract with sin. Yet here I am, stuck in this mess, in this snare, in this trap, stuck in this agreement that even though I'm trying to get rid of this thing, I don't want it here anymore, I don't remember the moment that my heart received something that it thought it needed in the moment, and I gave place to the devil. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. How do we give place? By agreeing with what they're telling us. Listen, when the serpent came to Eve in the garden, he came with an accusation against God. Did God really say, look, he knows that if you eat this, you'll be just like him. And in her heart, Eve went, yeah. And the Bible says she saw that it was good for food and pleasant to the eye, and that she reached out and she ate it, and then she gave to her husband. All the serpent needed was for one little corner of Eve's heart to go, yeah, I think that feels true. Agreement. And the whole of mankind was condemned into sin. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you and I were born with the DNA of sin. When we arrived on the planet, we had sin in our DNA. That sin of Adam and Eve in the garden was imputed to us all down through the generations. That's why we needed a Savior. We talked about this two weeks ago. And so there are sins that we that we just are born with, it's part of our DNA. Then there are family sins, generational things that we inherit from our ancestors, our mom and dad, grandpa and grandpa. They're familiar to us. You ever heard the phrase, it runs in the family? That's how that happens. But in Proverbs it says, go from the presence of an angry person lest you become like them and endanger your soul. The people you live with, the people you grew up with, the people you open your heart to, if they're struggling in an area, if they have influence in their lives, we are in close contact with them, in close relationship with them, opening ourselves up to those influences. And they get in and they get influenced, they get a place. And we can end up stuck in a snare that we didn't even know we were stepping into. In Romans chapter 6, Paul goes through this whole I'm just going to touch on a couple verses on 6 just for the sake of time, and then we'll look at chapter 7 real quick. Romans 6, 12. Paul warns the church. Now, this, he's talking to believers, right? He's talking to the church. This is not he's reaching out to the lost, trying to get them into the kingdom. These are people that have given their lives to Jesus. He's writing to the church, and he says in verse 12 of Romans 6, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments 
for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. He's telling believers, don't give in to sin. Don't give your life over to do what sin wants you to do. And listen to the way that it's worded. To make you obey what? Its passions. I don't know if you've ever had the stunning realization of that there's things in you that are dark and disgusting, and if anybody ever knew, you feel like nobody would ever want to be my friend or be, be around me anymore because sin has deep, dark, disgusting things they want to drag us into. Right? And when we understand the things that we're being pulled on, the things that we're being pushed on, this is the passion that sin is bringing to us and trying to say, you want this. This is who you are. And you and I have a decision to make whether we're going to accept the false identity of what sin is pushing on us and go along with it, or we're going to do what Paul said right here, present myself and my members, my body, my life, to God as instruments of righteousness. That's the choice that we have. The problem is when we're backed into a corner and we feel like we have no choice, we feel like we can't make the right decision, that means we've already given away that place of authority in our lives. The places we can't get victory, we feel like we cannot overcome, is the place of bondage and a snare that we're already stuck in. Paul describes this in Romans chapter 7. He says, well, let me just go. It's right here. <laughs> I have a Bible. I can just read from that. <laughs> Paul says in Romans seven fifteen, for I do not understand my own actions. You ever been there? For, what I, for I do what I do not want but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good, because the law says don't do that, right? Now it is no longer I who do it, listen, but sin that dwells within me. For I know nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. Listen, he didn't say my flesh is no good. He says something is dwelling in my flesh, and there's no good in it. For I have a desire to do what is right. That's, that's my heart. That's my desire. I want to do right. I want to be righteous. I want to do good but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You ever been there? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And that word dwells means to house or abode or home. Sin dwells in me. And that is the whole goal and purpose of sin is they want to abide with you in your life. They want to be your friend. They want to move in. They want to bring their other friends and listen, sin never comes alone, right? When you let one in, they come walk in the door holding hands with the 10, 12 others. And you're like, how, how did I, what, what happened? I never agreed to this. We didn't mean to, but we did. And because I didn't understand that sin was a spirit separate from me, I spent most of my Christian life fighting my flesh, fighting myself, thinking that I was the dirty, rotten, stinking problem. And Jesus died to free me from the, the effects of sin. And the Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God on the earth. And as a saved young man, I didn't understand that God viewed me as righteous, but sin had a hold on me because I had given away my authority, my God-given authority, by accepting their counterfeit solutions. And I want to tell you today that the counterfeits the enemy has to offer you are empty, hollow, and there is death there and destruction there. But the the purpose and the, the solution and the provision God has for you is life. God did not create you with a need that he didn't turn around and create the provision for that need for. So every need you and I have, whether it's comfort, perfection, life, provision, God
God has a way to meet that need legitimately that is wholesome and holy and righteous, and it will be strength to your, your life, your body, your bones, strength to your relationship, strength to your marriage, strength to your family. What the enemy has to offer is destruction. And the world's got a whole lot of advice about marriage, relationships, family. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there that you and I can step into that will absolutely destroy everything that we touch. And I want to invite you today to step into what God has for us. One of the things that absolutely transformed my understanding is, is 2 Timothy 2. I got too many pages. 2 Timothy 2, I'll just kind of quote it for you because it's kind of my, my, uh, my life's verse. It says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, oh, here it is, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. Listen, after being captured by him to do his will. Whose will? The devil's will. Now, I do not today want you to go out of the, out of the doors of this place and go, there's demons everywhere. Even though there are. Just like there's people everywhere, they're out there. They got a plan. They got an agenda. But listen, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when your eyes open to the truth of the battle that you're in, all of a sudden, oh, I get the rules of the game. I understand the rules of engagement. Now I know how to start winning this battle. I know how to get out of this. How do I escape the snare that I've been trapped in? You allow the truth of God to come into your life in the deepest places, the places the enemy has exploited in order to bring you to places of freedom. My 25-year battle with pornography, I'm fighting against lust and perversion. I'm fighting all the symptoms until one day the Holy Spirit reached down deep into my soul and said, Tim, you have, you have an agreement with self-hatred. You have a die-hard agreement that you are a piece of crap and you're worth nothing and no one will ever accept you if they really know the real you and so you're hiding and because you're hiding, this place of comfort is attractive to you and it's counterfeit. You're feeding on trash. And when he healed a root of self-hatred, all these other things went sweeping out with it. Because the spirit of self-hatred had come to me, I believe, when I was very young and started telling me, there's been a mistake. You shouldn't be here. There's a problem. If anybody finds out, you're in trouble. You're a fraud. You're a waste of oxygen. You shouldn't have been born. And somewhere very early in life, my heart grabbed a hold of that like it was the truth of the universe. And because the enemy had that place in me, he got me into all kinds of stuff I never would have willingly stepped into on my own. That's why it is so important to allow God, like David, search my heart, oh God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Listen, that place wicked means place of pain, place of idolatry. In other words, I plug things into the God spot that don't belong there. They're counterfeits. They're, they're what the enemy has rather than what God has. Know my anxieties, Paul, uh, David said, and lead me in the way everlasting. You and I need to invite Jesus into the deep places, the deep places. God, shine your light. What's there? What's going on? Because on the surface level, nobody ever taught me that I could know truth with my head but have an argument against truth in my heart. And I felt crazy because I knew the truth. I'd memorized scripture. But down here, I was living a different reality. And guess what? We will live what our true beliefs are, and your true beliefs are down here in your subconscious. 
So I'll know truth, I'll know what's right, I'll know what's righteous, but just like Paul said, I, I don't do the things I want to do, but I end up doing things I don't want to do. And he ends that with, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's why when he ends chapter 7, who will save me? Oh, thank God, Jesus. He starts chapter 8 with, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if there are things about your life that you hate, if there are things about yourself you're just deeply disappointed in or struggling with, I'm here to tell you right now, sin most likely has a place of influence, and you may not even remember giving it a place of influence. You gave your authority away without realizing it. Just in a split second, you believed a lie that came to you, and because you believed that lie, however many years, decades ago, right now as a grown person, you're sitting here stuck in a snare you don't even know you're stuck in. When you think about what Jesus told Peter when Peter said, no, Lord, you're not going to the cross. God forbid, you'll never die. We'll protect you. What did he say? Get behind me, Satan. You are a snare and a trap. You are an offense to me. The same words we use for sin. The enemy was offering Jesus in that moment a counterfeit solution. And Jesus caught it. That's why the ruler of this world had nothing in him to use. You and I, however, sometimes we've just been like picking up counterfeit after counterfeit after counterfeit. There is a way that seems right to a man, Proverbs says, but the end thereof is death. Have you ever, it seemed like the thing to do at the time, but now, man, I wish I had never done that. The good news is that the blood of Jesus provides redemption. The blood of Jesus can restore, it can renew, it can cleanse, it can create a new reality. Listen to what Colossians he echo, Colossians, Paul echoes what he said in Ephesians. Colossians chapter 2. Somewhere. Okay. And you, verse 13, Colossians 2, 13. You who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all the counterfeits, all the mistakes, all the wrong agreements. Jesus, by his blood, has forgiven us all of our trespasses, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame, triumphing, over them in him and in the cross. The cross of Jesus guarantees that you and I can be free. The blood of Jesus overcomes the influence the enemy has built in your heart and my heart. And right now today, you and I have an opportunity and a decision. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. You and I have an opportunity to allow God to pinpoint the places of counterfeit influence that have been grown, the strongholds that have been grown, the places of, of operation that the enemy has created in our hearts and our souls, and rather than presenting ourselves to sin or unrighteousness to fulfill its passions, we can fulfill the will of God. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.